0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, Confident Faith, today. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15, as we join Dr. Newfeld with a message entitled, Seeing God.
1: Some time ago, I had a conversation with a missionary who spent a great many years in the Middle East. And I trusted him, he was a biblicist, he was not given to exaggerated stories, he was a realist. He told me stories of the growth of the gospel in Iran and in so doing, he told me of the number of Iranians he knew who had had a vision of Jesus. Again, let me repeat, the man who told me these accounts was not given to exaggerated stories. And the one that most overwhelmed me was the account of the woman who saw Jesus on the cross And who was so close to him that she could feel his breath, and who said that the thing that spoke most to her were the eyes of Jesus as she looked into his eyes. I have another friend who had spent a lifetime ministering in Egypt, and he told me of a man who had gone to the Hajj, the requirement of all Muslims to take a pilgrimage once in a lifetime. He arrived in Mecca and got on a bus to the holy site, and strangely, The bus driver looked intently at him and told him that he wouldn't find what he was looking for at the Hajj. Indeed, when this man returned home to Egypt, he he had the sense that his pilgrimage had been an empty experience. I mean, how did the bus driver seem to know him, and how is it that he knew what he would experience? Well, time went by, and his work schedule in Cairo went back to what it was, but he had a Christian friend at work who invited him to have an evening meal at his house, and after some persuasion, he agreed to go and he entered the house, and they sat down, and he noticed that the family had hung a picture of Jesus in their dining room. But this man kept staring at it, and he finally said, I mean, why do you have a picture of a bus driver from Mecca on your wall? And after much discussion, this man came to believe that on that day when he boarded the bus to go to the Hajj, Jesus had encountered him in the form of a bus driver. I don't know what you make of accounts like that. Perhaps you accept them instantly, or perhaps you greet them with skepticism. And if you're a skeptic, look, I understand. So let me be clear. I've never had a vision of Jesus and I'm anticipating him the very second I breathe my last breath here on earth. But, but since we've begun a series on the later life of Abraham and at a time when his faith begins to mature, we begin with a most interesting encounter in chapter 18. Now, before I move into the text, Let me take you to John 8, 56. In that passage, Jesus is in a dispute with the Pharisees. And Jesus has just been saying that if anyone keeps his word, he will never see death. And in response, the Pharisees say, Now now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. And then they add, Who do you make yourself out to be? And in response, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, I know the passage in John 8:56 followed by John 8:58 where Jesus says before Abraham was I am well those passages are often used to examine the eternal nature of Jesus one with the father sharing fully in his eternity and and surely that's exactly what those passages actually teach but still there's a part of this story I want to examine Jesus claimed that Abraham had seen him, and from that, we're left with a question. Exactly when did that happen? We're beginning our account of the second half of the story of Abraham, and I'm reading Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Let's take it one step at a time. Abraham has set up his tents, or his base camp, near a cluster of trees in a place called Mamre. Now, Mamre is only mentioned in the book of Genesis, nowhere else in the Bible. And that may be because it was a very small settlement and later simply went out of existence. But Mamre figures into the life of Abraham. Genesis 13 verse 18 says, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So wherever these oaks or this grove of trees stood, we find out it was near the city of Hebron. In Abraham's day, Hebron was a major settlement in the hills of Judea, or if you don't know your geography, it was in the southern part of Israel, west of the Dead Sea, in a country which is quite hilly. Today, Hebron still exists, it's it's a largely Palestinian city. But there in a grove of oaks outside of Hebron, Abraham built an altar. It was a third altar he built in the Promised Land and this one was built when Abraham had finally found a place to settle, a place where he could build a temporary home. So it seems quite likely that this location eventually became his home base. And this is where he worshipped. This was the place he set aside for the adoration of the God who had called him. This is where intimacy with God was pursued. In Genesis 14, verse 13, again, as before, Abraham is said to be living in this place, but here it's called the Oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. So it seems likely that that the grove of trees that Abraham lived on was a part of a property of an Amorite man named Mamre. And here we get a picture that wherever Abraham stayed, he was living on rental property. He had absolutely nothing to call his own. Later in Genesis 23, verse 17, when Sarah dies, Abraham purchases a burial property for her, the only property he ever owned in Canaan, piece of land which would eventually become the place of his own burial, And that, we are told, is a place that is to the east of Mamre. So clearly, that burial plot must have been very close to the place where where Abraham had put his tent all of those years. Now, the reason I point all of this out is that when God appeared to Abraham, he appeared to him in in the closest thing that Abraham, the wandering nomad, would ever call a home. See, this piece of ground was for him the, the only place where, where he could at present claim a bit of property as his own. And so this is where he worshipped. I want us to imagine Abraham having now been in the land for over 20 years, having no land for himself, only a promise, living on rented property with a barren wife, and only a promise that the entire land of Canaan would one day belong to his descendants— And he would be a people as great as the stars of the sky or as as numerous as the sand of the seashore. A man who essentially had only one thing. The thing he owned, the promise of God. In reality, that's the picture of faith. You know, there's an old hymn from the early 20th century which said, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's the life of faith that says we, the people of God, are strangers and aliens, that the life of faith is a life lived with but one source of security, and that source is not earthly. Abraham, the man of faith, is living that. And here as chapter 18 opens up, we find him at a temporary home, having left his own land and people behind, and he's a man of faith. You know, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents. And in this way, Abraham was pleasing to God. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But Abraham was trusting, and God was pleased. And here in Genesis 18, we find this landless man in his tent at the Oaks of Mamre in the heat of the day, and he's sitting in the shade, and the heat would have been unbearable, and he looks, and it says, the Lord, that is, Yahweh himself, appears to Abraham. Now might I say that when you read your Bible, that you you never pass over a line like this quickly. That's because John 1, 18 says, no one has ever seen God. And fascinatingly enough, 1 John 4, verse 12 repeats that line verbatim, no one has ever seen God. You know, in Exodus 33, when when Moses is on the sacred mountain, Mount Sinai, Exodus 33, verse 20 records God saying to Moses, man shall not see me and live. And so we have here two seemingly contradictory things. See, on the one hand, we have Genesis 18 verse 1 saying that Yahweh appeared to Abraham. But according to the rest of our Bible, that, that's simply not possible. If God himself were to appear before any human being, that person would instantly die. Such is the presence of God. So we go into Genesis 18 with two assumptions, and both of them must be true. No one has ever seen the one true God, and yet, on one day, the only true God appeared to Abraham. Now, what in the world do we make of that?
0: We're so grateful for the incredible support Back to the Bible Canada received during the Believe campaign in December. Your generosity has positioned the ministry well for the beginning of 2018. As you know, the key verse for the campaign was John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This verse represents the heart of this ministry. Bible teaching that draws people of all ages and backgrounds into a deeper walk and standing in Christ. In 2018, we celebrate 60 years of ministry in Canada. It couldn't have happened without you, so we extend our most sincere thanks and keep an ear open for all the upcoming special activities, programs, and events that will take place throughout the year. For more information and to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: The first time the book of Genesis tells us that God appeared to Abraham, well, that's recorded in Genesis 12 verse seven. Abraham is then at a place called Morah and Yahweh appeared to him there. And now here we are again, Yahweh appears to him. Fascinatingly enough, as we read through the account, we see that three men come to Abraham's tent in the heat of the day. And as we read through the account, we're gonna have to ask ourselves, is one of the three men God? Is that possible? And if so, Who are the other two guys and what's going on here? Now, we have the benefit of the rest of the Bible, and let's see what the Bible tells us about this strange phenomenon. Let's start with Joshua 5, 13 to 15. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, just for clarification, when Joshua calls this commander, My Lord, the word for Lord is, is not the name for God. He doesn't call him Yahweh. He simply says, my Lord. And that being said, yet, there are very strange things going on here. While this man is the commander of Yahweh's army, we find Joshua falling down and worshiping, and then we find the commander telling him to take off his sandals. This is holy ground. I mean, I can't help read this. And at the same time, well, I've just got to reflect on Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. There we read, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. But no such words of restraint are found in Joshua. Indeed, here this commander goes one step further. To stand in his presence is to stand on holy ground. Those words mirror the words that were spoken to Moses when he stood at the burning bush. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. See, I can't think of any satisfactory answer to the question of who this commander is other than this is surely God himself. Let's go a little further in the scripture. I'm now in Judges chapter 6, and this scenario surrounds itself with the adventures of Gibeon, the man called by God to defeat Israel's enemies. And there we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared to him, but Gibeon at that time did not know it was the angel of the Lord. And once he realizes who it is, Judges 6, verse 22 records him as saying, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then we're told that the Lord has to reassure him that even though he's seen the angel of the Lord, he's not going to die. So please notice that this is not like seeing an angel. Throughout the Bible, people see angels. They do all the time, and they never think they're going to die. But this being, this angel of the Lord is different. Now let's go forward. Judges 13. We come to a section dealing with a man named Manoah and with his wife. They'll become the parents of Samson. And here, just like Gibeon, Manoah encounters the angel of the Lord. And just like Gibeon, he doesn't realize it's the angel of the Lord. And Manoah asks the man his name. And and the angel of the Lord responds and says, reading from verse 18, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? And then just a little while later, the angel of the Lord ascends to heaven in a flame, and Manoah and his wife fall to the ground. Verse 22 says, And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. And his wife assures him, Well, if God was going to kill us, we'd be dead already. And that leaves us again with a startling reality. This angel of the Lord is no mere angel. He's none other than Joshua's commander. This is God himself appearing in human form, And it's only after the appearance that people realize it must have been God. Now, one more such appearance, and then we're gonna get back to Abraham and show why all of that's so significant. I'm reading Isaiah chapter six, verse one. It's a a passage that most Bible readers know very well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Now, again, as before, we notice what seems like an apparent contradiction. Jesus taught that God was spirit, that he does not have a human form. And yet here Isaiah not only says he saw God, but he describes him physically sitting on a throne with kingly robe flowing from his shoulders down onto the floor of the temple. And here, in case we're trying to make sense of all of this, John chapter 12, verses 36 to 43, not only describes that event, it tells us exactly what Isaiah was looking at. Indeed, let me read John 12, verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, that is, the glory of Jesus, and spoke of him. See, John says that when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, John says, He was looking directly at Jesus himself. So let's see if we can put all this material together in a way that makes sense out of everything that we have just read. What we're reading about has been what some Bible teachers call a theophany. It's the appearance of God in human form come in such a way that's tangible to the senses. See, I would add that from my perspective, whenever we find such an appearance, we actually have the appearance of the second person of the Trinity. That is, as John will tell us, this is the appearance of the Son appearing in human form. I get that from John 12, verse 41. Now, when I say that, I wanna be very careful to draw an important distinction. When Christ was born, God the Son, for the very first time was found clothed in human flesh. So, we must not think that God the Son clothed himself in human flesh many times in history. Now we call the birth of Christ the incarnation, that is the glory of God, a glory that would kill us if we looked at it, that that glory came to us, but it was veiled in human flesh. So let me say it again. That happened but once. This is not an event that was repeated over and over and over again. Well, then, what exactly are we seeing in those theophanies in the Old Testament? And so, listen very carefully. Every theophany foreshadows the appearance of God in human flesh that will happen in the New Testament. God the Son appears in human form, and as he does, he anticipates the day in which he does not just appear in human form, but rather this anticipates the day when God actually comes fully in human form. And so, every Old Testament theophany, or every physical appearance of God in the Old Testament, is like God putting his hand over Moses' eyes, for no man can look at God and live. Now, why is all that so significant? Well, I go back to what Jesus said in John 8. He told the Pharisees that Abraham had seen him, and here we've got to think about Genesis 18. As Abraham is sitting in his tent in the heat of the day, the man who struggles to believe the promises of God, Jesus himself comes to him. Jesus is interested in assuring this man's faith. And that tells me something that's overwhelmingly significant. It tells me why Abraham was able to have the kind of faith that he did. I mean, how was this man able to believe the promises of God when all he had were promises? And the answer now becomes overwhelmingly apparent. Jesus, or should we say, God the Son came to him and mentored Abraham in his faith. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And that's it. Abraham had faith because he looked to Jesus who founded his faith and who nurtured his faith until it was perfected or until his faith was mature enough so that... He would implicitly trust God in everything. And in this way, he became fully pleasing to God. That tells me why Abraham is our example. We need to be like him. I suspect that you, like me, have never had a vision of Jesus. But you have a testimony far stronger than anything that Abraham had. You have Scripture. And in Scripture, if you pay attention to it, you will see Jesus in a way that far surpasses any mere vision. So read it. Read it often, over and over again, and fix your eyes on Jesus. And in this way, let Jesus mentor you in your faith. There you'll find Jesus as the object of all true faith. And there in him, you will become fully pleasing to God. And so just like Abraham, look at Jesus and from him learn to believe.
0: John, I'm wondering, because you had mentioned it before about seeing Jesus in in this message, is there other occasions where we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Yeah, I
1: know it's always uh, somewhat of a leap for some people to say it's Jesus rather than a theophany, which is just a physical appearance of God. But I tried to make the point throughout this sermon is that when we actually see God in, in, in physical form, it is a precursor to the coming of Christ, so, and because of the passage that I had mentioned in John chapter 12, it seems most likely to me that whenever we find such an encounter, we actually have an encounter with Jesus. And of course, that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus told the Pharisees that the, that the entire Old Testament spoke of him, so we should be able to find him in all manner of places in the Old Testament without doing violence to the Old Testament. So, you know, real Bible study and yet uh, simply leading to Christ.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for more of our series Confident Faith right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Truth in Life magazine. Now is the time to make sure you subscribe for our free bi-monthly magazine, Truth in Life. The next issue will be released in February, so by subscribing now, you'll ensure it will arrive on your doorstep. This next issue will discuss the distortion of love we find in our culture, and the absence of a biblical understanding of love, love for God, love for others, and love in relationships. It also includes regular features for reading through the Bible in a year, updates on activities and events, and every issue features articles by Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, Isaac Dagno, and guest authors and pastors. February is culturally a time we celebrate love. Let's make sure we do it right. So to ensure you get your issue or to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.